Our second gospel lesson, or our second scripture reading this morning is from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, verses 17, and I'm actually going to go to 31. Listen now for God's word to you today. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. The man said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked, and he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Creating God, God who brooded over the waters, at creation, like a hen broods over her nest. God who wove together all that is seen and unseen. God who created us, who created the trees, who created the waters, who created the lilies of the field. We thank you. We thank you for this word. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this creation and our place in it. We thank you for the gift of this life, for this breath, for this moment. 
for the experience of creation. We thank you also for Jesus who showed us who we are and in doing so showed us who you are. Now may you put into my mouth the words you would have me speak and take from my mouth those you would not. Amen. I'm actually going to hold on to this for a sec. So this sermon I feel like is one that I've been holding in my spirit for about a year now. Um, I've had lots of conversations about it, but it's one that I'm excited to really be able to unpack in a way and to really kind of, as I'm learning about the experience of sort of letting the words come through me, to see what the Spirit has to say. But it's been one that has really reframed these two texts and particularly holding them together have radically reframed the way that I understand myself, the way that I understand creation, and the way that I understand how those two things connect, myself with creation. So I want to take you back to last summer where I was serving as the pastor in residence at Camp Hanover. Camp Hanover, for folks who may not know, is the Presbytery's camp. And they have, throughout the summer, kids who will come for overnight camp, day camp, things like that, and have a week at camp. And I was the pastor in residence there in July last summer. And we were talking about the creation story. I had the opportunity to talk with the whole group, but then to break out into the smaller groups and to meet with the different age kiddos. And I was sitting with a group of day campers who were about eight. In fact, I know they were eight because they, they were Elliot's age, and that came up in the conversation. And we're reading through this creation story, and I want to lift up one thing, that in the beginning of the creation story, you may not have caught it, but on verse 26, where God is talking about God has made everything, and then God said, let us make humanity in our image, according to our likeness. So God is talking to God's self, and God says us. So when I was in seminary and I was in Old Testament, we talked about this as we were learning how to start to translate, start to do exegesis. We talked about this, and that was part of the research. Look up, who is us? Who's with God? Why is God plural? You know, this is monotheism. This is very clearly God is creating. He, it's, it's singular throughout. God is there as a singular, but then refers to us. So who's there with God? Now, when I was in seminary, there were a few options that we talked about. One is that it's a reference to other Mesopotamian creation myths, some other creation stories. Another is that it's sort of the, the royal we. It's God is this kind of collective we. Christians sometimes will read this and say it's the Trinity. I, I think that's actually an irresponsible reference of the use of the text. And I, I don't think that it needs to be the, I think we're actually missing something when we say it's the Trinity. And so it could also be some sort of divine counsel. That was another, another option. And all of these options felt kind of insufficient to me in a way. For one, why would you reference other creation stories? Why would you want to? For another, with regard to a divine counsel, it's pretty clear with Judaism that monotheism is key. Like it is fundamental that there is one creating God who made all of this. A good reading of the beginning is not actually in the beginning when God created, but a better reading would be when God began to create. So there is this existence understanding that God precedes all of this. So who is us? Who is we? Who's there with God? 
And so last summer, I posed this question to this group of eight-year-olds. And sure enough, this kiddo named Jeremy, when I said, who is us who's there with God, looked at me and said, earth. And I was like, well, yeah. Earth is there with God. Let me sit with that for a minute. Yeah, earth is there with God. So as I sat with that, I realized, well, that aligns this creation story with all of the other indigenous creation stories that we see throughout the world, throughout time. Earth is part of creation. Earth is active and part of the divine movement of things in a way that we, that it is proactive. It is creative. It is involved. It is part of this whole process which really kind of fits with who actually wrote these stories. Now, I'm going to say really clearly, I think these stories, the creation story is a myth. It is a way of understanding who we are and how we were created to be. And yet, I also think that the people who wrote these stories had a very, very clear relationship with the world around them and with who they were as created beings and in this world in a way, and in this earth, with this creation in a way that I don't think we have today. I think we're too separated. If you just think about if if I were to hold up a sheet with 10 different leaves of trees and I were to hold up a sheet with 10 different logos, we don't even need to say how much easier we could say 10 different logos. I could see a maple and oak tree, but you start talking about other things, I'm going to get real confused real fast. We are not connected to this place. Yet as I held this, I started thinking more and more, and it's like, I think there's a lot to that. Because as you go on to verse 27, and it says, So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created him. He created them. So what's actually a better translation, and the Hebrew actually says, So God created Adam in his image. In the image of God, he created him. It's Adam and singular. So what does Adam translate to in Hebrew? But earth person. Earth person. So God created earth person in his image. In the image, God created him. One. One person. Made of earth. This is starting to track. God is talking to earth. We are made of earth. We are the same substance as the stuff all around us. Okay. So I'm sitting with that. And I'm like, that actually makes me think a lot differently about creation. It makes me think that I am connected to creation in a particular way. It makes me think also that those feelings that I have when I sit down with creation, which we all have, I think, when we let ourselves sit and be present with nature, where you just feel kind of at ease, you just feel kind of held, you just feel kind of seen almost, a whole new light. Because if God is actually in creation, then that means that when I am with a tree, when I am still, when I am present, when I am outside with the other things that have been created just like I have, then I find my way back home to myself. I find my way to my breath. I find my way to the earth within me. I remember that I am made of earth and water just like this place. So I remember that I belong here. But then I want to go in and I, and it was about a couple months after I held this last summer that I started thinking about this passage in our gospel today. And I started thinking about this devout Jew who comes up to Jesus 
and calls him good teacher. This is two times in scripture when Jesus is called good teacher. It's the same story repeated twice. Jesus says what? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Now Jesus was a good Jew. I think it's safe to say he was a very good Jew. He understood the scriptures. He understood the scriptures. He would have known that at the end of every day of creation, God says, it is good. So then I start to think, wait a second, are we missing something here? Is Jesus making this parallel with this devout person this devout, right, this is a very religious person whom Jesus loves. I used to read this scripture very differently. I used to read this scripture as Jesus calling this man to task. He is not, he loves this man. He wants this man to understand who he really is. And I mean who this man really is. He wants this man to see that he is part of this creation. So as I'm holding this, though, I'm going to come back to this man, but I'm thinking, wait, there's something here. And don't think for a moment that the words are not intentional. Don't think for a moment that, oh, they just, they didn't mean good. They just, that was, a, that was a coincidence. This is not a coincidence. There is a very direct correlation between Jesus saying only God is good and his understanding that at these different points of creation, God says it is good. At the day that God creates humanity, it is very good. God saw how good it was. So then I'm like, well, wait, so is Jesus kind of saying that God is good, but making a connection also that God is creation, that God is all around you? I'm going to come back to this, but hold on to that. So as I'm stirring through these thoughts, God and creation, the good, what does all of this mean? I was at the seminary a few months ago. Actually, I was having coffee with Joffrey sitting there, we're having lunch, and I see my friend Megan Strollo, who's a Hebrew professor at the seminary. We went through seminary together. We translated, um, we, we were translation partners throughout um, Old Testament, New Testament, Hebrew Greek. So we've got a, a good history. And I said, Megan, Megan, can we chat? I want to chat with a Hebrew scholar about this because I've been drawing this connection between God and good and creation. And I would love, and I told her a little bit about what I was holding. And she said, it is so funny that you say that because it turns out what I am studying right now is the Hebraic use of the good. And it turns out that what they're talking about when they're talking about the good is creation. Huh. How about that? So what do we take from that? And I'm going to go back to the rich man. But what I take from that in looking at the creation story is that God is actively a part of creation. That God uses creation to be able to bring about the experience of what it is to be created. There is nothing more than that, right? God uses, God is present in a sunset because a sunset is. It is abundant. It is beautiful. It is God celebrating what it is to exist in this timeline of creation. What have I been saying again and again about where we are, the point of creation, that as God brooded over and decided, I actually want to know what it is to experience time. I want to know what it is to experience finitude, because God is infinite. God doesn't experience time. So what if God said, I want to know what it is to make, create, to make, to create. I want to know what it is to experience the act of creation. And so I'm going to go in as a human with this particular spark there, 
put this veil of knowledge over my eyes so that I can learn. I can learn what it is to be able to not have dominion over. The Hebrew is better there, have mastery over. Now we've translated that through history, through centuries of oppression, to mean mastery over. I am your master. But think about it as you think about how you master an art. You master a practice. You master a discipline in the sense that you master a fine art. You learn how to actually work with a material so well that it flows with you. If you think about watching a dancer move and the way that they know how to work with their body, even if you watch a farmer move and the way that they know how to, how to feel what's going on in the fields, it's almost as if they are working as one thing. They are working together as one thing. When you see two people dancing together, moving together in this way, it is almost as if they are working together as one thing. Friends, we are one thing. We are all part of this created goodness that is. But then I want to come to the rich man. Because he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Now Jesus says, God only is good. You know the commandments. And he offers him five of the commandments. This is the second tablet of the commandments. The first tablet is all about how to love God. The second tablet is how to love neighbor. That's why Jesus, when he says the two greatest commandments are to love God and love your neighbor, this is a summary of the law. It is a summary of the first and second tablets of the Ten Commandments. So Jesus repeats to him, these are the commandments that have to do with people. These are the commandments that have to do with others. And the guy says, I've done all of those since my youth. Why don't I get it? And he wants to understand eternal life, which is accessible to us now. He doesn't feel it. He's the guy who's gone to church all his life, who's been very devoted, who has understood it, who comes from a place of privilege, and he's missing what it's really about. He's like, there's something missing here. Has anybody ever had that feeling? I know that I'm doing all of the things, but I just don't feel it in the way that I feel like I'm supposed to feel it. And Jesus looks at him, and he sees him with compassion. And he says, you're missing it. Give away your money. Give away your money. Give it to the poor. Not because he's trying to shame him. Not because he's trying to tell him it's bad that he has money. But because he sees that for this man, just like for all of us, money is the quickest way for us to forget who we are and who created us. I'm going to say that again. Money is the quickest way for us to forget who we are and who created us. That is whether we have it or we don't. Either way, it is harder if we have it. Because what happens is that we build up wealth in such a way that it buffers us from the world around us. Money is created by us. It is created by us. It is not created by God. We are created by God. 
So I got to tell you what that means is that any time we prioritize money over people, we are prioritizing that which we have created over that which is created by God. There's a word for that. It's idolatry. That's the first commandment. The second, pardon me. So what Jesus is saying here with full compassion is that you're missing it. You're missing it. You're so nervous about money. You're holding on to this that has actually been a buffer from the lived experiences of your brothers, sisters, and siblings around you, which is what money does. It makes us nervous. Nothing sends us into scarcity mode quicker than a conversation about money. We get nervous we're not going to have it. If we have it, we're nervous. we get nervous we're going to lose it. If we don't have it, but we see, because there's also this reality in that money makes a very, very big difference in the lived experiences, particularly for people who are marginalized. We make decisions. And it's tricky because it's so hard to read this right now and to not be like, oh, I should be ashamed. That is the same system telling you that you're missing the point. What I have found is that as I sit down with people, as I live into what it really means to live into that second commandment, to live in right relation with my siblings around the world, not just here, I want to live in right relation with my siblings who made my shoes, my siblings who made my pants, my sibling who built my car. This world, our financial systems make that impossible though. So that's where we have to have bigger conversations about our financial systems. What does that mean to us? But we got to start right now with recognizing and affirming that we are created and divine in the same way that creation is, that we are part of this place. What does that mean? It means we get to trust that God is going to show up for us the more that we sit down and show up for and with one another. If you sit down, and now I don't know if this is the case for you all, but I know for me, and I come from significant resources, so my relationship with money is complicated. Learning like I don't need to be nervous, that I am going to be taken care of, that it is going to be okay, that we are, we are going to be okay. We are going to be provided for. This congregation is going to be provided for. It is a scary time in the life of the congregation because it's transitional, it's new. It's also a very exciting time. Can you feel that? It's a scary time, we're nervous, we don't know what's gonna happen, but it's also really exciting because we feel like maybe there's this nudging underneath that we're gonna really get to learn who we are and how beautiful and abundant we are. But that's a little scary because we've learned how to hold on with all of these things. We can relax, we can relax. So just like here in this congregation, it's a scary time, but also exciting. I'm going to tell you that in the world right now, it's a scary time and also really exciting. And I got to tell you that it's not going to get calmer for a while. We got to move through some stuff collectively as a people. We get to move through some stuff collectively as a people. But what does that mean on a practice? What, does, what do I do with that? What do I do? 
Well, I'll tell you what I do. And I was talking to Sherry earlier about this this week because we were talking about anxiety in different ways. And I was like, okay, we could just take a breath. We can come back here. We were talking about at different points when things will make us nervous because it's life. And Sherry said, how do you do this? How do you find center? And I was like, well, I got my feet knocked out from under me enough times to know I needed to just stay down. (laughs) I'm very, very good at being human. Very, very good at being human. And so I say that laughingly, but also with an invitation, as if to say, if I can learn how to sit down and be still and observe what is, I genuinely believe anyone can. Because that's the answer. That's what we do. We sit down. And I know it sounds counterintuitive because things are on fire. Everything, we got to do, 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 but we don't know what we're supposed to do. So we're just going to run around and kind of freak out because that's what we know how to do. We don't have to do that. Our nervous systems are adapted to doing that. We don't have to do that. Because what I found is that if I give myself permission to sit down 10 minutes, and it's nice weather outside. This morning I was outside for like an hour, sitting against a tree, all these, leaning, being present, remembering that I am part of this place. I guarantee you if we can remember that, we will have an easier relationship with our money, an easier relationship with the world, an easier relationship with ourselves, an easier relationship with one another. And I got to tell you, with those last three, with the world, with ourselves, and one another, those are our relationships with the divine. When we learn to let go of our money, to let go of our anxiety about money, what happens is that that actually does create a flow where we are provided for. We get to understand the abundance that comes in daily bread when we're not so terrified that we put all of our bread away and then it molds. It is a flow. It is a movement. You are part of this place. You are being provided for. We are being provided for. The process of letting go of that anxiety can be really painful because you realize how tight you've been. You ever think about if you have a muscle cramp and then you extend it and something's been asleep and it tingles? It hurts. But then it feels so good because you've got oxygen flow into that whole limb. Our whole lives have been cut off in this way. Our whole, and this is not us. It's not our fault. This is passed to us. It's not our parents' fault. It's not our grandparents' fault. It's not our great-grandparents' fault, right? This is so far back. It's just what we have. So we get to relax. We get to learn that we are part of the flow. And I got to say, in all of that, hold on that the thing that is holding you is love. It is abundance beyond your imagination. Trust me, give yourself permission to be still and you will experience the abundant love that holds you. And that love, that energy is what is going to save us all. Amen.